Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Hello, my friends. Welcome to episode 159 of Life Science Marketing Radio. This was a fun one. I usually do a pre-interview with my guests, but we walked this tightrope without a net and had a great conversation anyway. It's a little bit of marketing, a little bit of employer branding, and a founder's story all in one. Speaking of that, if you have a founder with a story you'd like to tell, let me know. It can be a valuable piece of content that you can get so much more out of. There's a link in the show notes to have a short chat. Now, let's jump into it. Today, my guest is Ramon Segal. He is the founder and global president of Raw Marketing, a PR and marketing agency helping contract organizations in the life sciences get noticed. Ramon, welcome. Thank you, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here. If I missed anything in that introduction, fill me in. Tell me a little bit about your business. You did a great job. And you pronounced my name and the company right as well, which is always pleasant because I've had uh, lots of versions of my... I did my uh, homework. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you very much. No, you said it. We're a kind of a design digital and content agency that's very much in the business of helping companies that operate in the pharma and life science space by helping them get noticed, raise profiling and generate leads. For your listeners, we live within... A, a niche of a niche almost which is when people come across our business they just think hey are we like a medical communications agency or you know they, they just assume content in pharma but you know actually we're a we're a very specialist b2b agency that works um 100 in the vertical of the outsourced pharmaceutical and biotech market so again for people that are thinking i have no idea <laughs> What, what he's talking about. If you take something like a COVID vaccine that's been developed in the last year or so, there are big companies, drug development companies behind it, but actually getting that product from discovery to patients, there's an entire supply chain that sits behind that. Those companies that sit in that supply chain, the vendors are our clients. That's where we specialize. So typically they are Manufacturing companies, packaging companies, research companies, testing companies, instrumentation, all that kind of stuff. Anyone anyone that's selling a pharmaceutical and life science companies are, uh, could be a potential client of ours. How did you start out on this? I know you've been doing this for a little over a dozen years. How, um, what were you doing before that and how did you make that transition? Yeah, great question. I fell into this 20 years ago, actually. I came out of college in the UK and... Uh, I worked for Heinz as in ketchup and thought this is cool and then realized that I wasn't really a good fit for huge organizations because <laughs> ideas seem to just stop and not go anywhere. But it was an incredible experience working for a global brand like uh, Heinz Tomato Ketchup. And I ended up in a marketing agency in the northeast of England and my first client just by chance was a, a pharmaceutical contract manufacturing organization that had just launched. And I was just 20 something year old, 21, 22 year old, just marketing grad, very enthusiastic and just ended up becoming very good friends with the founder of that business and then helped that company grow and learn lots about clinical trials and pharmaceuticals. And you know, I wasn't a, I'm not a scientist or a life science person by trade, 
she fell into it. And Fiona, who actually ran that business, she ended up actually being a mentor and an investor <laughs> in my business many years later and is actually one of my best friends today. But um, so I fell into it and worked for a couple of other agencies. But I realized, I think it's 2009, I had an opportunity to take on another client and just thought, hey, this that might, that sounds good. I'll do my day job as head of marketing for a pharmaceutical contract contract manufacturing organization and then take this one on the side. And that sent me, sent me down a path that I was completely <laughs> not expecting. And uh, yeah, 12 years later, we're a pretty sizable 50, I think we have 55 people as of today, international agency, which has been 10 years of roller coaster stuff which i'm sure a lot of your other get, uh, listeners who work in the agency space can probably appreciate yeah i think you're the first agency owner i've met probably may or at least that i'm aware of or can think of right now that came into it not from the life science side and people who listen to my podcast know I'm a big advocate of bringing in people from somewhere else who just don't have the same narrow view of what marketing in our space could be. Thanks you for know, doing that. Do you know what's interesting um, about that? That what you said there is, I um, it was 2007 or 2008, and someone who was more traditional said to me, you know, big pharmaceutical companies will never buy; they'll never look for a manufacturer online. And I was like, okay, right. And I came from a different world, right? Which is everyone's going online, dude. And about six months later, the company that I worked for at the time got a lead from uh, Eli Lilly, who are obviously sizable, big pharma company, and were looking for a very niche capability. Google searched. I'd optimize the website. You know, this is like old school keyword stuff from 15 years ago. And anyway, the business I worked with ended up winning. I can't remember, but it's a significant size contract, which came from, it was either from a Google ad or an SEO uh, kind of ranking space. And so to your point, I, if I'd gone through the traditional path, I don't think I would have had that kind of lateral or horizontal way of thinking like this works in these sectors why would it not work in those so yeah i think it's uh not gonna search i was wondering like you are in a niche of the whole life science niche and how people find your clients and but my question was going to be what do your clients come to you looking to do because they are small they have a narrow group of customers they serve and Mm -hmm. they're probably very specialized Talk a little bit about that. Sure, yeah. And the, uh, I suppose that the pain points they often are feeling when they come to us. At a marketing level, it could be, hey, we've got great capabilities and no one knows who we are. So there's a clear awareness of profile issue. They've often been doing trade events for years. And even pre-COVID, they were not feeling the same rewards that they had previously because people weren't traveling as much so they wanted to generate leads a different way often they come to us because they're going through change so an acquisition or they've been bought out or they're going through some kind of investment and they and they realize hey we've not done anything with our marketing for many years so there's those kind of generic marketing challenges which i think are probably replicable across any b2b sector one of the reasons they knock on our door is because of the technical and industry knowledge that we have. We are super niche. And what that means is they'll often come to us and say, I cannot believe an agency like yours exists because because often you'll have medical communications or generic pharma 
agencies that will do a bit of this work, but it's probably not high, it's probably not high value enough for them. And so I think when we're pitching against those companies, the specialist knowledge that we can demonstrate really shines through. So you get that nice combination of really technical marketing expertise, but really deep domain industry knowledge. And we literally live and breathe this sector every day as a team. And we have a real mix of the team, people we've taken people from industry. In fact, our CEO um, who runs the business day to day is from industry. She was in clinical trials. She knew nothing about marketing at all, but I was like, we don't need more marketing people, we've got enough marketing people. So um, we need someone to come and run the business, but also someone who that really understands the pain and pressure of our buyers and our customers. And yeah, so those are some of the kind of issues that our clients, our pains that our clients are often facing. We, nine times out of 10 are a good fit for them and we can, you know, help them solve those problems. And they tend to be quite loyal as well. They tend to, you know, we've got really high retention rate of clients that tend to stick with us for a long time because you get to know each other, you get to know the company better. They're growing, we grow, and it's a bit of a win-win situation. And it certainly allowed us to fuel the growth of our agency in the last 10 years, which in the last five years has been pretty crazy growth as well, which COVID probably added <laughs> more fuel to that fire as well. Yeah. So your CEO understands where the industry's going and what kinds of things the, your clients should be thinking about. And then you've got plenty of marketing people. And so you mentioned no one would find a company like this online. Talk about some of the other tactics that maybe contract organizations aren't thinking about, that they didn't think this isn't for us kind of thing, whether it's social media or whatever, what other kinds of things are you doing? Yeah, sometimes it can be very basic where they've, if you look at their online presence from a web perspective, they've often quickly done a website years ago and then it's been like added to and evolved over time. So it ends up being a real massive platforms and plugins and technology and zero thought has gone into the user experience. So no one has stopped to think, um, okay, who do we need to make this site for? Who do we serve? To us as marketers is basic questions, but often these companies are, they're often scientifically led or driven and they grow because the market is expanding and there, there are opportunities there and they just grow quickly and then think, oh God, we didn't do anything with our website. And then they're left with, and that, the website's a good example because that then applies to their social media presences, to their email marketing, to any you know, marketing automation or anything that they've set up. And so it's often an opportunity for us to educate them on the way that they are doing things isn't necessarily the best way. And one of the simplest ways you see it is and if you read their web copy, it'll often be like, we do this and we do that. And but so very little insight goes into speaking to the buyer's pain and what they might be feeling and where are we trying to get them to go what do we want them to do and all that kind of stuff so again from a marketing from a b2b marketing perspective it's quite uh it's quite familiar to us these people are busy professionals that are very super educated folks it's not like they haven't got a clue or anything like that but it's just not been a priority but it I think for a lot of them, there is um, this huge ambition there and they recognize, okay, in, in order to go from 20 million to 100 million, which is what you might see, we need to really get our house in order when it comes to user experience, when it comes to web, when it comes to social media, marketing, all that, like what lead generation campaigns, how do we arm our business development team? 
you know, all of that type of thing. Uh, and a big part of that, one of the things we did from day one was my background as well, was public relations and even media relations, content creation. Often that's a huge challenge for them as well, which is we, the stuff we want to say, we just, we just don't know how to say it, we don't know how to. And then we work with them to help them, their tone of voices, what their key messaging is and all that kind of stuff. And that's the fun stuff. I really personally enjoy that process where you, you're helping a, you're helping a client unlock what makes them different in the marketplace and how you then, how that manifests itself with visuals and language. And that is, for me anyway, that's my kind of, that's the bit I get super excited, excited when we get involved in. Yeah, I was just thinking a couple of things. I want to come back to the content because, of course, everybody knows I love that. A lot of those sites, if you have a scientific founder or something and are based on some technology, they're built for early adopters. It just occurred to me. These people will get it. I just need to put this up. But then after that, if you want to grow, then you got to get the people who don't necessarily want to dig that deep. Exactly. Something different and have a just a smoother user experience like you've been talking about to get into it, which sort of leads into the content. How do we talk about yeah. our, our stuff? But it's interesting even because one of the things that we often find with our clients is they have, a lot of them have different types of buyers, but actually if you simplify it, what you often find is they've got a super educated technical buyer and they have a very top level businessy CEO type buyer. I'm, hugely generalizing but it's often if i'm with my founder of an agency hat on if we're looking at using a partner company let's say for example and i go on their website i'm looking at the about us page i'm looking at the leadership team i want to know how they work with clients i'm not interested in the you know, features and benefits piece but if i'm looking at a marketing automation software for our, our business all of a sudden i'm the technical buyer and i don't care about the about us or the leadership so even as an individual i look at two different sites if you like in like two personas and i think that's one of the things that we find is often no very little thought has gone into any users or user experience but we can just what we find is you know you do that work up front and the outcome is so much better like your user journeys through web through social media through through an email marketing through any means tend to be so much better when you get that upfront piece done well as opposed to trying to retrofit it later it can be quite disastrous when you can <laughs> try and do that and it, sure. to, to your point content is obviously a key part of that we often build content hubs for clients on their websites using a mix of whether it's short form or long form content different types of content and actually measuring see what's working for different buyer types and obviously the industry that we work in a really good lead could be worth millions so you don't have to be you know i mean when we when I first started remodeling we used to do we always had life sciences or the outsourcing space clients, but we got into all kinds of you know, crap back in the day. We did, we did like restaurants and bars. We launched a TV channel and it felt like so exciting at the time, but it was so hard to evaluate and see the value of some of that stuff. Whereas in what we do now, it's much more, you can not always, you know, perfectly measure the return on investment, but actually if a client is spending X amount of dollars with you a year and you're helping them generate leads of X amount and they're converting those, there's a relatively clear ROI for the client to, to understand, which is not always the case when you're selling widgets or pints of beer or whatever it is. That's a totally <laughs> different thing, but I love your explanation of how you are both a technical buyer and a check writing buyer, essentially. <laughs> yeah. 
both kinds and then and simplifying it down to that level i thought you were going to come up with three i did one for a client a long time ago they had a technical buyer and then there was like the manager sort of level and then there might have been a procurement person who okay yeah. final sign off you do get procurement right? people in the mix the other one that we often find actually chris which is more and more now and it is it's an employee audience actually because the kind of war for talent is is huge in all industries but in the pharmaceutical and biotech space where we operate it's incredibly you know and i live in boston and on the east on the east coast and it's known as being obviously a, a real hope for life sciences and the, the amount of sums of money being banded around at the minute for people's positions because people are just desperate for staff so actually having really thinking about what we want to come across as like an employer what's our culture like what are our perks and that's it's interesting over the last three or four years, I think that's been one of the biggest changes I've seen is much more fo- focus on like prospective employees yeah. more than almost as much as, and actually I look at some of the work, we've done so much more work in employee experience and employee retention. And that wasn't the type of work we necessarily thought we would do, but it's kind of similar in a way. And yeah, so it's just quite fascinating that that's one of the other buyers that we see. Yeah, that's interesting because the same I've experienced the same thing. A little bit the topic sort of came up a year or two ago, but recently have had one of my clients say, "Hey, can we make some content because we you know, we have a new facility, we need to put people in it." <laughs> right? Good people. <laughs> we wanted to know what it's like to work here. So that and I've been thinking about this long before that about employer branding and even before i knew what it was called about when you put out content regardless of whether it's for your customers that makes an impression on potential employees and vice versa when i see job descriptions <laughs> certain ones i go i don't want to do deal with those people <laughs> because <laughs> that company just seems like i don't know you, you don't get a good impression. So even your job descriptions are part of your brand. Do you find absolutely. that? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and it's interesting. We've, we're almost as an organization too close to our own employee strategy because we're always recruiting as an agency because we, we've grown quite quickly. And we used actually uh, a partner company in the UK who helped us really map out the employee experience from things like how we write job descriptions to how we manage the resumes. And so we have a system now where any resume that comes in is managed through one portal. And this might be quite common across other companies, but businesses at our size, you don't necessarily see them because someone's resume is in someone's inbox and they wrote notes in an interview and no one's seen their notes. And what we found is actually this centralizing all the system. And it also just keeps all of these potential employees in one system or with the, aside from GDPR, which we have to deal with in, in Europe, which is you can't hold the data for a certain amount of time and things like that. But, you know, someone that might be, you might get a, a really interesting resume today, but it's not right for a role that you have today, but they might be right for something in six months time. But often what happens, they come in on one day and then you forget about them and you might manually remember them. And so the system that we've used, that we're using now just helps us keep track of it all. And it's easy to search and all that type of thing. It's very revolutionary from my perspective. I'm sure lots of your listeners already use systems like that. But it also makes 
the employee experience so much better the, or the prospective employee because they're getting regular replies they get some of it's automated some of it's it, it's much more consistent i think like it's like anything with customer experience or employee experience you want them feeling oh, wow these guys are so professional and like they're always on it and as opposed to hey i sent them a resume they said they'd get back to me in like two months has passed and they haven't even replied. So, yeah. Yeah. I see that so often on LinkedIn, people complaining about getting ghosted or how many interviews they went to and so on. And now I'm thinking, actually, this is probably someone like what you have, but an opportunity for machine learning to, to gather those notes in an email or something. It would just recognize, like, this is somebody talking to a potential employee. Let's get that information into a system somehow and then... And as you say, regular contact going out, like you're marketing your company as an employer. Yeah, hundred percent all the time. Yeah, and that's I don't. I'm doing a project internally at the minute where we're looking at building out our employee experience offering to clients a bit more. And it's it's interesting. Obviously, loads of companies use HubSpot and various marketing automation systems primarily for customers. But it's like, why would you not use that for? It's, it is so obvious when you stop and think about it, but actually, why would you not have a really good you know, content machine that's aimed at keeping in the UK, keeping them on the subs bench, right? You want to you wanna pipeline a talent on the bench because when someone decides to leave because they've been offered, we've had that, you know, we've had amazing staff retention over the years. And the problem COVID's given us is we've got huge New York agencies, London agencies offering crazy salaries to which we can't compete with. And, but because we've got people on the bench now in our pipeline, it kind of doesn't sting as much as it used to, if that makes sense. But no, it's certainly something for your listeners, if they're not doing it already, having a really intuitive system like that is where finding is absolute, absolutely invaluable. Yeah. Let's, let's talk a little bit about your agency and just for the agency listeners about growing your business or things that you found that made you successful in terms of thinking bigger about your business and even from the aspect of you not doing everything. You hired a CEO. You're the founder, but you're not the CEO. That's unusual. Yeah, no, that's great. It's a, good, it's a great observation. And some top-level learnings that we've had on our journey. Six years ago, we niched. We decided just to focus on a niche. I'm sure that's been well covered in some of your podcasts, but the value our bit, the acceleration of our business has gone through the roof since we did that because we've become so much more meaningful to our audience than than we were pro- you know, you know, previously where we were a bit more gen- general. Even as a general B2B agency, which we were for a while, we weren't as, the proposition isn't as strong as it is now. Now it's very, if you go on our website, like I mean, I, maybe you did prior to this, like yeah. we are, it's very clear who we exist for, like very quickly, but it's also designed to, if you're not this person, then go away. Like we don't need, we don't need you to send us an inquiry. I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. Like, don't waste your time. Don't waste our time and everyone's a winner. And that kind of clarity that we have as, a, as an organization is certainly something I would, every agency is different and it's a tough game, but I've certainly found that niching down in a sector. And I think to an extent, we got lucky because life science is a good place to play. But then one of the reasons I chose this sector was because it was pretty stable. We'd, I'd had hospitality clients and retail clients, really hard work. And I was like, nice people in the pharmaceutical industry are like, they pay us on time. They're really nice. They're not yes. crazy demanding. 
that we grateful that we, for any yeah you know for and, good and ideas exactly like they're so appreciative of creativity which is really easy from our perspective and so so i think that niching down piece and the kind of clarity of your marketing that follows that and um, we've invested quite heavily in our own marketing actually as an agency and i think that's I find it quite ironic, isn't it? Because quite a lot of agencies are selling that service and are generally, you know, terrible at it. It's like it's having like the barber with a terrible haircut, right? right. Or the uh, the personal trainer with a big, huge belly. You know, I mean, like, you know, <laughs> like something's not right here. And I think in that sense, we have we have four people in our marketing team of an agency of fifty five people, which is unheard of. But but we don't have a full, we don't have a big business development team because we're like we're an inbound agency and we are we have to practice what we preach. So I, I think aside from those things, I think one of the biggest things that we've learned as well on that journey is learning to say no to customers. And I call it having a you know a defense checklist. And not every customer, a lot of agency owners that I'm a, that I know or have known over the years will take on any business that comes knocking on their door, and that can be very dangerous because you, it can take you down rabbit holes and clients that are not good not a good fit for your capabilities and what we have tried to do is be much more selective with the clients that we work with both from an industry niche perspective and so we have to feel confident that we can actually do what the client wants so for example we got a lead from a biotech company recently that wanted us to help them with branding and website and then from a technical perspective it was pretty straightforward but they wanted it to do it in a way that was out of scope with what are the value that we've normally applied to the work so it was a good opportunity but not a right fit and so we said no and i think at a more almost like an emotional or a person-to-person level if they don't seem like very nice people, then don't do business with them. And I don't know if we're allowed to curse on the podcast, so I'll, I'll try not to curse. But we do <laughs> have a saying, which is, you know, if the person is a douche, let's say, or it seems like or, or that type of person, then let's walk away. Because if they're, if they're like this now, they're going to be a nightmare to service uh, <laughs> as, as a client. Those are some of the key things that I think agency owners could, could take away and I think some other kind of top top level ones of, as I mentioned being a specialist we've grown a real international business as well we have clients in 25 plus com- countries all over the world now and that's again the value of being a specialist in a global market I really enjoy the international aspect of what we do I've just been on a call prior to this with a client who's based in Sao Paulo in Brazil. And it's just pretty cool being able to talk to all over the world. And again, coming back to that, being a specialist, being in a global market just allows you to do that. And we find from an employee perspective, it really helps with um, retention and attraction of staff when you work in a global industry because the kudos of, hey, I'm traveling to New York today. I mean, we've had a team who were in Milan last week. Like even obviously it was much more difficult during COVID, but as we come out of COVID, the travel, I've got two colleagues from the UK and Boston this week. It's really cool. We went for dinner last night and that international element is is also a key part of it. Yeah, I think that is a very attractive thing. I get the same vibe. I don't have a lot of international clients, but when you talk to them, it's just nice to work with people on the other side of the world. When you talk about the clients you don't want to have, I'm just thinking from your point of view, of course, you don't want to have a client that's going to be difficult to work with. But if you think about employee retention, the people that are going to take the brunt of the beating when the money's involved, those are the people you want to stick around. You got to think about, would I 
because maybe you're not dealing with the bad client all the time, but they are. You're going to think, would I pass this person off? You, you, you just can't, you know, and, and our head of commercial has trained with me and we have a clear kind of mandate over not working for clients who behave in a certain way and treat people a certain way. If we think they're just a bad egg, it's just, it's not worth it. It's not worth the pain is all my observation. This okay. has been fantastic. I really enjoyed this conversation. Not no, I had no idea where this was going to go when we started, but this whole thing has been really fun. Do you want me to mention a book or anything like that? Yes. Yes. Because I, of course, we'll put a link to it in the show notes. And yeah, tell us about it. Yeah. Based on some of the experience that I've talked about today, Chris, I'm, I'm very proud to say my First book called The Floundering Founder will be launching in, in January 2022. And it's made up of 24 short lessons for primarily aimed at people that run small service businesses like agencies or consultancies that are often stuck in a rut or at a crossroads. And the aim of the book is to help them get their business and life back on, on track. And it's very much for almost technical experts that end up having a company and then on that journey they have to learn all the crap that comes with running a company and rather than just servicing clients and what they do and certainly my experience and that of others that i know of there's often a bit of a crossroads point because it can be very consuming to run your own business and i try to unlock what had worked for me on my journey and thankfully i've managed to you know grow a pretty successful agency and have a couple of other companies as well and so I've captured some of those lessons to, and some of the things that we've talked about today, actually about niching down, about marketing correctly and some relatively basic stuff, but named specifically at those, that audience. And also it's 12, 12 of the lessons are about your business and the other 12 lessons are about you as an individual and that you have to keep investing in yourself as much as anything else. And, you know, so I've added some insight to learning habits, importance of reflection, of networking, some key things like that, which I think are timeless for any of us to just become the best version of ourselves. Yeah, super excited. It was a <laughs> project that I started when COVID hit and I decided to take an hour out of my day. You know, that would typically be commuting or traveling. And it literally took me a year to do the whole thing. And it's a good lesson actually for everyone. And, you know, if you want to really do something and you can dedicate the time to do it. It's amazing what you can achieve because, you know, obviously I'm very proud of the fact that I've written a book and it's going to be published. And and I look back now thinking, God, how did I get up at 6am every morning and write for <laughs> an hour? But, you know, honestly, it's I genuinely have written the book to help people. Like, I, And I don't mean that in a violin playing type expecting or something. Like, I've written the book as if it was five, six years ago, if I had this book, it would have saved me so much time and energy and effort. And that's why I've written it. And I've tried to write it in a, my, my style of writing is quite snappy and bite-sized and like here's some takeaway hit like stuff, like go do this. So rather than it being theoretical or conceptual and academic, I'm just like, I'm not a super intelligent guy. I just wrote it. So, so, and I really hope people pick it up and enjoy it and yeah, hopefully get some value from it. We'll definitely put it in the show notes as well as a link to raw marketing and your LinkedIn profile. Ramon Segal, this has been fantastic. I want to thank you for sharing this. And I definitely, I want to invite you right now to come back to talk about that investing in yourself. So maybe sometime in the middle of next year, we can 
do this again. That would be my pleasure. I am a fan of your podcast and I have listened to quite a few of your episodes. And so oh, I think it's a, I think you're doing a great thing. We're quite interesting audiences, marketing folks that work in life sciences, but I think there's a lot we can learn from each other. And I think Chris, you're doing a terrific job in facilitating that conversation and bringing some really interesting personalities that you know I would never have heard of prior in yeah and connecting people. So congratulations on your your success. Thank you so much. All right.